0: Okie dokie, a podcast for those addicted to the study of Scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel!
1: Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing to work our way through the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 30. In the previous episode, we saw that Jesus was going throughout Galilee, teaching in all the synagogues the gospel of the kingdom, healing diseases and afflictions among the people, and how his fame, notoriety was spreading among this region, and how people from farther regions beyond the Galilee were starting to hear about him and traveling yeah. to Galilee to uh, see him, hear his teachings, try to experience his, his miracles, his healings, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and we kind of had a magnifying glass on one of those instances on a leper that came to him and asked him if he was willing that he could make him clean. And we spent good good amount of time talking about what biblical leprosy looks like, that it's not... This modern day picture of Hansen's disease, but it's much more of a ritual impurity uh, that does involve the skin, but it has more to do with its origins coming from God and having this tension involved of like a deeper purpose of why leprosy has been allowed for a person to experience it in hopes to bring repentance and uh, doing the necessary things within the Mosaic Law to make you ritually clean again. Um, And then we saw some great steps that Jesus took uh, beyond the cultural norms that the rabbinical traditions do with lepers with him actually physically touching the leper making himself ritually unclean. You know, seemingly the guy may have not been around human contact for ages and it's a great act of compassion and then he ends the story by telling him to go do the necessary things within the law of Moses that's commanded for someone that has been healed of leprosy and that just affirms like Jesus upholding the Torah
0: yeah exactly man that's a good review I feel like I heard the whole episode just now that was awesome Yeah. So, and yeah, and the important thing, that, that, like the big important takeaway from the, the thing about the lepers is, again, the culture, the mindset. We hear something about a leper and we just think he healed him the same way you'd heal any other disease. But for them, there was this really, really important focus on the purity, the cleansing. And we even saw that in the text. I, I know that if you're willing, you can make me clean, not well, or healed, or whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a great picture. So, well, then, let's see what happens. All right, yeah, it's kind of a cliffhanger. Kind of, yeah, and we're going to have more of those, but here we go. Uh, so, the, the next little section we'll look at, is in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 45, and also Luke, chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. I'm going to go ahead and read both, because they're short, and they use quite a few different words, so let's let's do that. Mark one forty-five. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. This would be the leper that was told not to. Okay, He went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Luke's is similar. Let's go there, though. Luke five fifteen. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Okay. So, first of all, let's talk about uh, that leper's tongue, though. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, it sounds he like just, he told everybody. He couldn't keep it in. No. He, <laughs> I mean, somebody makes you clean or, you know, we would think heal or whatever. And he's like, hey, don't tell anybody. I, if it were me, I don't know. I'd feel kind of obligated. to Keep my mouth shut. But that dude was like, flap, flap, flap. Mm-hmm. He let everybody know. So if Jesus's fame wasn't already spreading fast enough, Well, this guy only makes it worse. And so now we've seen a number of different things. We've talked about him healing the sick. We've talked about him healing the lame. We've talked about him exercising demons. And now we're talking about making lepers clean. And so all along the way, you can just imagine the number of people who could Benefit from somehow getting near this guy, the number just keeps growing and growing, and so they just keep showing up in bigger and bigger crowds. And then it tells us the crowds became so big, he can't even enter towns anymore. There's not even any point trying, it's just there's just too many people. And if you remember, Samuel, what did Jesus tell his disciples back at Peter's house? What was his mission? What
1: was he trying to do? Um. Oh, no. Was he trying to attend to the sick and not the well? Uh, No. Good reference.
0: No. Uh, It it was the part about he needed to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Okay. That's what he was telling him he was going to do. And so here he is. He's out on this mission, this journey, walking around all these different towns, and he can't do anything because the signs you know, including now, cleansing of lepers, along with everybody else. Well, the the signs were to show that this this proclamation of the good news of the kingdom, well, it, it showed that it was authentic, but adds a little problem. Now, all of a sudden, the fervor over the signs, it's starting to interfere with the message I mean, he, he he's not getting the opportunity to speak it because he's busy healing everybody or whatever, right? So he's out, he's staying in desolate places, which, you know, you might think of as like wilderness or whatever, but he's away from the townspeople and he's spending time in prayer. We don't know what he's saying. I mean, could be as simple as, okay, God, now what? <laughs> I, I can't I can't go anywhere. can't do anything. But w- either way even when he's trying to hide out in desolate places, they still keep finding him no matter
1: where he's at. That's, I like that picture, and it gives some more context to why Jesus told people repeatedly not to tell others about the miracle because of that balancing act between proclaiming the message of the kingdom and those miracles and the signs that are evidence of that message of the kingdom. Um, yeah, It's still hard, though, to wrestle with, like— shouldn't jesus slash god expect the word not to be contained i don't know that's just that's hard yeah. to to kind of grapple with
0: yeah well you gotta figure you know god wasn't surprised we do wrestle a little bit with what does jesus know or not know uh, at any given point in time but yeah it's uh I, it's a peculiar thing but whatever this this is the story so we're just gonna keep going The next block is Matthew chapter nine verses one and two, Mark chapter two verses one through five, and Luke chapter five verses seventeen to twenty. Now, just because there's a lot of similarity, overlap, whatever, I'm only going to read from uh, Luke. Except I did want to do one little bit from Mark right there at the beginning, so I'll kind of kind of do that just that much. So, Mark chapter two verse one. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And now, that's important information, and now Luke's going to give us a little more detail about how that happened. Luke five seventeen. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every Village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. And let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Well, that's kind of a crazy little story right there, yeah, huh? It's a big one. Yeah. All right, let's see what we all what all we got going on here. So Uh, Again, we get at this point, Jesus, he's finding it difficult to have any time alone, so he decides to travel back to Capernaum, and interestingly, he goes by boat. It's pretty smart. No crowds on a boat, right? But also, we find out he's going back to Peter's house. And I don't know if you noticed, but it was referred to as home. Capernaum. Is at this point just considered Jesus's home. It's kind of an interesting thing. Hmm. Now, th- now also we don't know like super detail or anything, but it seems like maybe this gave Jesus uh, maybe even a few days without the big big crowds. But even if he was that fortunate to get that much time, news still spreads pretty fast, and so the people start to gather. At the house, Peter's house. And so Jesus is preaching, it says, the word to them. Well, Samuel, what word? it
1: be the word of the kingdom?
0: Yes, the very thing that we just said he was having trouble doing because of all the signs. It's, you know, I don't know exact words, but it was probably something like, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then, you know, other things to back that up, right? So, I don't know. It's kind of cool. The crowds get really big, though. And one day in the crowd, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law. And I'm just going to take a sneak peek down to verse 21. These are scribes. Remember when you had that question, Samuel?
1: Yeah, about how involved are the scribes within interpreting the law? Yeah. Yeah, and they're
0: separately called the teachers of the law. Hmm. So they weren't just copycats. They didn't just do that. They, they had to know what they were talking about. Anyway, there were many of them. They're from all over the region. And, you know, it's uh, maybe something we don't think about, something we wouldn't normally know. All this area where Jesus is hanging out and, and like we're going to hear a lot about Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin, that kind of stuff. In this entire area, this is big Pharisee presence. They're all over the place in this area. So that's something to keep in your head. And then for some reason, Luke mentions that the power of the Lord to heal was with Jesus. Now, Samuel, I'm just going to say, are you like me? Weren't you just pretty much assuming That the power of the Lord was just always with him to heal?
1: I mean, we've had stories in previous episodes where he was healing people.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, Luke, he's not... We we don't think he's going to write something for no reason. Why did he bother telling us that? Is it because the power comes and goes? Well, maybe. And, you know... Let's think about what we've been talking about. The crowds are there, and since he's gotten back from the boat, we've only heard so far about his preaching. So maybe Luke is bringing up the idea of the power to heal was with him that day, just because this is going to be a nice segue into the, the, the story that follows. Now, I'm just going to say, there's nothing about the idea of Jesus's power to heal being, you know, intermittent or something. I'm not convinced of that at all. I've got, in my head, I've got the spirit in its fullness is remaining on him. And therefore, Mm -hmm. seems like it's just always with him. And so, you know, I'm going to say this is much more likely Luke's way of just setting up, hes setting up the conflict that's about to arise. Because remember what Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Mm Mm-hmm. That is not an ordinary thing to say. We'll get into that. But anyway, I don't know. It's just weird that Luke told us that. Yeah. So you got this big crowd. You got these guys now. They're bringing their paralyzed friend. And they can't even get in the door to see Jesus. And I'm sorry. That bothers me. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, really? Really? No one would make a way for these guys to get through.
1: That's not cool.
0: I mean, that's just not very nice, right? And then again, Jesus was preaching the word to them. And what word? Repent. Repent, the kingdom. You know, they should somewhere in their heads be going, hey, you know what? I need to step aside and let this guy have a shot. But they don't. They don't. And it, it here's the funny part. It didn't bother these guys carrying the the little I don't know what you'd call that, like a little stretcher or something, a <laughs> little bed. It didn't bother them a bit. They just headed for the roof. I guess they, I guess they already had it in their head. They're just going to make their own door. And for what it's worth, you think about Peter's house, how were they going to get up on the roof? There probably were some form of stairs or ladder type thing, even like a permanent thing on the side of the house that they could have gotten up. So, you know, they had that, but they tore a hole right in Peter's roof. And I'm just going to say, also, not very nice. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's just a weird story. But then, I I don't know if you caught this. Luke, when we were telling the story, he mentions tiles as if his roof was made with tiles. And you just got to say, number one, that would have been super rare. Number two, The other Gospels don't mention it. They seem to make it sound a little more like a, you know, dirt thatched something, whatever kind of a thing. So if Luke was right, that actually would have indicated that Peter,
1: in his house, etc., he was probably pretty well off. So you remember way back. Didn't we talk about saying that there's some indication within the text that Peter's fishing business was fairly successful and thriving?
0: Yeah. Well, we were kind of seeing that in the text going, I don't know, kind of looks like he was a pretty successful guy. So either Luke is just wrong because he wasn't there and he's getting the information from others or whatever, and he maybe make assumptions or something like that. Or if Luke is right, here's yet another indicator that Peter might've actually had a pretty successful business going on. Hmm. It's, you know interesting little pictures don't know which is right but important to see yeah and then i love this Uh, of course it matches connects to other things that we've talked about so right here it says when he saw their faith now you can guess we're gonna have to talk about you know faith and healing again we'll get there in a second but i have to ask you samuel what did he see you're at you're asking me
1: yeah you're the only one named samuel on the podcast (laughs) i don't know if it was rhetorical or not for the (laughs) listeners um i mean i feel like he was seeing a faith that is accompanied by this determination that they were so convinced that jesus had the ability to change their friends status his way of life that they were willing to do practically anything, do very risky things uh, Yeah, socially in order to have a, an opportunity to have an interaction with him.
0: Yeah. And see, that's so important for us to see because we're, we're going to talk about this. People act on what they truly believe. So Jesus is seeing people that uh, they were believing that, that he could do something, he could heal their friend, and they're behaving in a manner that's in line with that belief. And so we need to stop for a second and look around at our own lives, look at ourselves, look at each other. If you really want to know what a person believes, you may as well just plug up your ears. Just sit back and watch. Watch what they do. And then you will see what that person truly believes because their behavior is going to display it. Mm -hmm. And then, now take that idea and just think for a moment about the church's influence on society and culture. If you don't think we're influencing the society and the culture more than the society and culture is influencing the, influencing the church, we might want to re-evaluate what do we actually believe? Mm. It's, a, it's, just a, it's a great question. Self-reflection, all that kind of stuff. It's just good for us. Yeah. But again, as we mentioned, there's another story where faith and healing are, you know, connected or associated in some way. And that just takes us back to the story in Nazareth when, you know, they didn't believe he couldn't do mighty things, whatever. And you just need to add this to all of the stuff that's in your mind. Don't let any single one of these stories dictate what that looks like, but try to put them all together and and understand the value of faith and believing but be a little careful about the mechanics of how it all might work or whatever. It's just just another little thing to add. Yeah. Now, okay, Samuel, let's go back through this again. We've been reading all this stuff. We've been going through all these stories for, I don't know, 30 episodes, whatever it is. We get all the way down here and these guys break open the roof. They lower this guy in And then Jesus sees their faith, and now stop reading.
1: What do you expect Jesus to do right there? Well, based on other stories, I mean, we literally just saw that leper that said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. So in this case, I would expect him to see when he saw their faith. Man, your, your body is healed. Like, get up and walk. Exactly. The, the expected end of the story
0: is Jesus is going to heal the guy, but he does something crazy instead. He does something unexpected. He tells him his sins are forgiven. Oh, what is that? <laughs> so, so now remember... Uh, In this time, in this place, in this culture, there was this persistent belief that somehow uh, sicknesses or, you know, like a paralysis or whatever, that it was caused by your own sin. Now, this is crazy because the Old Testament scriptures make it clear that this is not true.
1: Yeah, just read the book of Job.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Job, Ecclesiastes, whatever. It's not true. And yet, culturally, we know that they were holding on to that. And so, there are a number of possibilities here, Samuel. We could say, well, maybe Jesus actually knew that this particular infirmity was caused. the man's own sin he could have right or here's another one maybe Jesus knew the heart of the man maybe he knew that this man was bothered more by his sin even than he was by his infirmity Ooh, that's a cool picture
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's a maybe. I don't know. I don't know. How about maybe, maybe Jesus thought that this guy just needed to hear that it wasn't his fault directly, if you know what I'm saying, that, that you know, his sins were forgiven. Or I don't know, maybe Jesus, maybe he only said it because he wanted to make a point to the bunch of scribes and Pharisees that were sitting there. Hmm? Hmm. we don't really know and I think I'm sure that I didn't do an exhaustive list you know people listening I'm sure they're coming up with their own ideas one thing we do know is that by saying that the scribes and the Pharisees really did get upset so you know we got that much going for us we know that one had to be kind
1: of on the table and now we just got to see what happens Yeah, another potential one I was thinking when you're going through that list was this man was starting to listen to that voice within the Jewish culture that your infirmities are caused by your sins, and maybe he was starting to actually entertain doubts and starting to believe that fallacy, like, you know, did I deserve this? Like, is this because of something that I've done? And then he hears Jesus saying something very poignant about, you know, sin and forgiveness, uh, within all of those insecurities and everything. Yeah. 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 It's, and remember every time
0: we turn around, we're seeing a place where Jesus is, is, is being merciful. We keep trying to highlight those. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to believe that that's a part of this story, whatever. I don't know. It's just all good. Yeah. I, I love it. All right, next section. Ooh, this is kind of big. Uh, let's see what we got here. I'm only going to read one, so that's okay. That'll save us time. This is Matthew chapter nine, verses three through eight. Mark chapter two, verses six through 12. And Luke chapter five, verses 21 through 26. And I think I'm just going to read Luke. We'll stop there. So here we go. Luke five twenty-one, And the scribes and the Pharisees, began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, and picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God. And we're filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Well. Whew.
1: You need some epic crescendo background music for this. Ah, uh, yeah, right?
0: Yeah, we need a <laughs> what do you call that? Somebody who does like scoring for the episode? Yeah. yeah, we composer. I'm to talk
1: with uh John some, Williams.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure he'd be interested. All right. So so here you have it. The scribes and the Pharisees, they are really tripped up by what Jesus said. All right. I mean, their minds are spinning. Did he just say what I thought he just said? Only God can forgive sin. This is blasphemy. Come
2: on, son.
0: And I mean, to be fair, that was right to them. I mean this was a really, really, really big deal.
1: Yeah, and we've already established that we're trying to deconstruct this misconception that the Pharisees were out to get Jesus whenever more often in the text and the Jewish context there's a there's more of a compatibility there between yeah. what they're saying. And then isn't, is this, could this be a principle of first mention? Is this the first time that the Pharisees are equating something that Jesus said or did as blasph- blasphemous? Ooh, I think I, you're right. I don't remember them saying yeah. that up until this point.
0: I can't say for certainty because, you know, I didn't like go study it. But yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds very possible. Yeah. I, this, that, this is a crazy thing. And, and you have to have some sympathy for the Pharisees because they came here, everything was nice, they weren't causing any trouble, they're, they're interested, seemingly, just like everyone else is, Jesus is the one that kind of poked the bear. So, you know, we, the, the, well, let's just see. So, so Jesus, he knows what's going on in their heads. I think that's kind of funny too. It doesn't appear that they said any of this out loud, but Jesus knows. And so he confronts their questioning. And I think, which one was it? Is it Matthew? Even refers to it as evil thinking? Yeah. So uh, now they've probably heard a lot about things Jesus has done. And I mean, we don't know. They may have even seen other things that Jesus has done. So I, I guess you could say on one hand, these guys could be big fans. They could be loving all of this, thinking this is great. They're here. They want to see more, know more, be a part. We have no reason to believe otherwise yet. Now, let me ref, we have looked at a couple other spots in the scripture where they got upset. Remember when he healed the guy at the pool and they got upset and they wanted to kill him and, you know, that kind of thing. We have no reason to believe these are the same guys and that these guys are upset, or whatever. Um, However, they're really getting tripped up over this little detail about, hey, your sins are forgiven you. Now, the Pharisees in general, and just as you were saying, they, they have proved to be right about so many things. And yet, as a group... They seem to they just continue to fight a blindness they're they're so hung up on the letter of the law they're always missing the deeper meaning they're missing the mercy, the love the justice and and for sure they can't see that jesus is God or even like take that off the table they can't even quite recognize or accept that he is acting in god's name on god's behalf with god's authority they just they're just not ready to go there yet which is understandable Mm -hmm. It's turning their entire world upside down right but then (laughs) he asked this question and maybe i should ask you the question samuel which is easier Say your sins are forgiven or
1: tell them to rise and walk. Which is easier? Uh, neither one sound very easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. The point is they're both firmly in God's domain. So, but, but let's, let's maybe try to figure out what he's saying. He says, which is easier to say? hmm So let's focus on that a little bit. To simply pronounce someone's sins as forgiven, I mean, you could say, it doesn't really require any proof. I mean, you could just say it. And who's going to go, well, that didn't work, right? I I I don't know. Now, there's a little bit of a problem here, all right? I mean, it, it, you don't really know if he says your sins are forgiven. You don't know if that's really happened or not. I guess we could just say they're like invisible, okay? But, but somebody could come back and go, well, the guy was still paralyzed. Should we be taking that as some sort of proof that they weren't forgiven? I mean, how, how closely should we associate these? You know, do, if his sins are forgiven, does that mean he automatically is healed? Or is there, you know, a little bit of a catch there? I don't know. We don't know. But we do know this. If you tell someone, a paralytic, to rise and walk. Now, Samuel, can you hide that one? I don't believe you can. No, it's super easy. The guy either gets up and walks or he doesn't. And people know very, very quickly whether you are fake or not. Right? So... That's my best guess as to why Jesus asked it that way, which is easier, right? Well, one of them, you know, you don't really need proof. And the other one, you definitely do. But either way, he lets them know, look, so that you may know. Jesus had their attention at this point, full attention. And now he's going to use the healing itself to make a very clear and unambiguous connection. And it's something like this, the source of power and authority that enables Jesus to heal, well, that's the very same source that also allows him to forgive from both Both of those requires God. It's all got to come from God. So if he's got the authority, the power, whatever, from God to do the one thing, then you can believe that he has the authority and the power from God to do the other thing. That's kind of what's going on here. So Jesus has the authority here on earth to forgive sins in the same way he has the authority to heal. And he is. And, And notice he used that phrase, uh, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. Well, he is the Son of Man. We've talked about that before, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember, Samuel, uh, it wasn't long ago we were talking about Jesus, he was already trying to explain to them that he had the power of life, that he had the authority to judge like to condemn or, or, or not. Uh, and now we see this, this power to forgive sin. So he's really building a case. I think in, in some ways he's, he's trying to do it in a manner that allows them to sort of come along and join in, but it's also, well, he's really pressing the buttons, really stretching yeah. them. Yeah. So I, I just want to say this out loud because I don't want it to get overlooked. Jesus merely speaks and the guy is healed. He gets up in front of him, goes home, glorifying God.
1: That's kind of like when he exercised the the demon and talked about the word that he said that commanded the demon to leave. Yes. And Jesus being the word,
0: Jesus speaking and things happening, where does this all take us back to, Samuel? Genesis, Bereshit. That's right. The very beginning. Chapter 1, God speaks and things happen. So, it's cool, cool picture. All right. So, Jesus, he's here in the midst of the whole big overall story. He's trying to get through to the scribes and Pharisees. He's not trying to tear them down. I, and I, I'm even suggesting, I think he's trying to build them up. He's, he's trying to... To push them a little outside their box, but to get them to come along, to 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 join in with the story, and there's a sense in which Samuel, I think it's a success. Here's what I'm saying: all were amazed. Now, I know sometimes we make fun of words like "all" and you know everyone in the town, and you know forever, whatever. Maybe we're talking hyperbole. But here, it seems reasonable to at least say, look, there was a crowd. Everyone in the crowd was amazed. You would think if the scribes and Pharisees weren't amazed, somebody would have said something. Mm-hmm. So I think when it says all were amazed, well, this includes the scribes and the Pharisees. And throughout the accounts, the different, the different Gospels, it says that they were all filled with awe or that they were afraid. Well, I think that includes the scribes and Pharisees. It says they were all glorifying God. I think that includes the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were all telling of what they had seen. And I think this includes the scribes and the Pharisees. Hmm. They're not all the bad guy. They're not all good guys. You, you have to treat them, you know, kind of sort of as individuals, though they're usually showing up in a group. I'm just saying, I think this is a really good example of the scribes and Pharisees not being a thorn in the side, not being hypocrites, not being anything. They're just like everybody else. They're trying to figure out what this Jesus guy's saying and doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just said a minute ago that the thing that they're struggling with was the the mercy, the compassion, the spirit of the law. And if, yeah. if we're to take this reaction as the Pharisees and the scribes being included within that reaction then that shows that at least in this instance they took a step in the right direction based on their response because like being amazed at seeing someone who had experienced suffering and oppression now be well like that in itself is showing compassion and mercy like being indifferent or apathetic would show that you know it still hasn't gotten through to them Right, right.
0: Yeah, I think at the very least, at least leave room in the images that are in your head for the possibility that these guys are on board. I think that this stuff is great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right, well... well I have one more little tidbit that with this story before we move on to the next one. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting that the text... at least from my observation of it, showcases the faith of the men who were carrying the paralytic more than like how the faith of the paralytic himself was. And I wonder if that's touching at all on this very Jewish and Hebraic aspect of the merit of someone else providing like life and redemption and salvation for someone else. Uh Like, I wonder in this case if, like, I mean, not to say that the person, the paralytic wasn't unwilling to be healed, but Jesus seeing how loyal and faithful his friends were that were willing to do all this to bring him there. Like, like verse 18, it says, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. And I just think that's really cool to think about. Well, how how could we advocate for other people in our own lives like could their situations be different if we were advocating for them like on our own merit you know pleading before God to make things happen and for things to change I don't know I just I wanted to bring that up before we moved on because that that struck me just like you know the merit of Abraham God remembered that when they were in Egypt and all throughout the story it's because of their forefathers that you know he remembered the covenant and everything yeah
0: oh i think that's a great way to look at it i think it's a beautiful beautiful picture and you've actually highlighted another nuance about the whole faith belief question because in this case it wasn't the faith of the paralytic himself it was the faith of the friends and i just think that's that's super cool good eye samuel or ear, whichever you use. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Both. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Man, okay. So, this next section, you know what? This episode's kind of like chocolate for me. All of this is good. I like it. Uh, all right. So, what do we got here? We're going to Matthew chapter nine, verse nine, Mark chapter two, verses 13 and 14, and Luke chapter five, 27 and 28. I think this time I'm going to read from Mark. I'm just, you know, I pick and choose, try to. Pick the ones that maybe have the most info or whatever. So here we go. Mark 2.13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me and he rose and followed him. Mm. So, so Jesus leaves the house, and again, he's out walking along the Sea of Galilee. This has been happening a lot so far in our story. And Mark even tells us that the whole crowd basically just went with him, right? And, and it's cool because instead of you know, doing signs or wonders, or whatever, the crowd's following him, and he's teaching. We gotta, you know, again, Keep that in your story. Jesus wants to 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 use words, if you will. He wants to instruct. Uh, but anyway, he comes upon a tax booth. Now, where was he walking, Samuel?
1: Beside the Sea of Galilee?
0: Yeah, he's on the shore. <laughs> and he comes upon a tax booth. Okay? Now, this sounds a little bit weird, and and you gotta figure. These are likely, I don't know, maybe a, a, like a semi-permanent structure. They could be assembled and disassembled, or whatever the word is, disassembled. <laughs> um, and, and so there's a couple possibilities here. You, you might think that it was used for tolls because there was a road nearby. Do you remember me talking about this, Samuel? I, uh, I never know how to pronounce it. It's like the Via Maris or something. Yeah. So there's a, there's a road nearby, one of the Roman roads. And so maybe it was for tolls. Uh, others, you know, they might think that, well, it's for imports, because remember, they're very near the border between Herod Antipas and Herod Philip. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that, that actually would have included some of the taxes on fishing. And we know how that integrates with the story. And James and John and Zebedee from Bethsaida and Peter and Andrew over here on Capernaum. So anyway, so those are a couple of ideas. Some think, I mean, some even think it's both of those. I, I don't know. And what's interesting, if you were to go out and use, uh, like on the Internet, looking for uh, maps. Hey, show me a map of the Via Maris and how it runs along the Sea of Galilee. Well, you're going to get quite a variety. Some, sometimes it looks like the road is nowhere near the shore. And others looks like it's like right on the shore, really, really close. And a good part of the shore, like a like a long ways, so I don't know what's right, but all I can say is it at least adds to this idea that that there's a tax booth out by the road that's by the shore that's you know it's all there together uh now uh some uh, another thing notice that it said that he was uh where did it say that he was Levi the son of Alphaeus, okay well. Later on in Mark chapter 3, verse 18, you're going to find that there is someone named James, the son of Alphaeus. And so nobody's 100% certain, but they kind of think that Matthew, Levi, uh, and this James, the son of Alphaeus, are brothers. Again, it's not like 100%, but it's, it's a real possibility. And just to be clear, so this James that we're talking about, son of Alphaeus, uh, that is not the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, so different James. It's also not the brother of Jesus. That's a different James. That's a lot of Jameses. Yeah, and you know, there's probably more and for all we know, <laughs> they're all supposed to be Jacob and we call him James anyway. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but this Matthew Levi, um, we should be looking at him as the writer of the Gospel of Matthew that we've been going through. Now, it's not. Some people think that maybe Matthew really did actually pen it himself, and others think that no, Matthew had written had written down a lot of little bits here and there, and he talked a lot of stories, and so someone else actually kind of compiled it in his name. Uh, either way, doesn't matter. We know what we're talking about. It's the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, but back to the tax booth. Whatever. You got this tax booth, and it's at least got to be near the sea. And this means that it is possible if Matthew, Levi, had been in this booth often, well, he may have seen Jesus a number of times. He may have seen for himself, or he may have heard uh, some of the teaching. I remember he like got on the boat, talking from the water, stuff like that. Who knows? He may have actually heard some of his teaching, He may have even been there and witnessed the miraculous catch. He might have even been the one that Zebedee had to pay the tax to when he brought the boats in, right? Mm. I mean, we don't know, but all of these things are very, very possible. We could even go way outside the box and say, well, we know that at some point some tax collectors went out to John the Baptist. Because remember, John told him, hey, collect only what was right. Only what's right. Well, you know, maybe Matthew Levi heard some of that. We don't know. Anything is possible. But what I'm getting at is it could be that Jesus walked by. Matthew had never seen or heard of him before. Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew can't help himself. He just hops up out of his chair and boom, he's now with Jesus. Or it could be That he actually has had some interaction, multiple interactions across time. And so when Jesus calls him, Matthew jumps up and is quick to follow, Mm. quick to follow. And you got to think, tax collectors are despised. He would never believe that this Jesus guy would tell him, follow me. And he wasn't going to take a chance that he would never say it a second time. So (laughs) he was going to go, right? And then you got to think, even the disciples that are with him, they had, I bet you they were kind of bugged. Wait a second, Jesus, did you just invite that tax collector, that nasty, despicable human to join us following you? I mean it doesn't say that anywhere, but uh, come on. It's a very real possibility.
1: Now were they despised like because of the influence of the Roman government on like orchestrating how you know the Jewish locals doing taxes were to collect the money, or is this like within Jewish culture and Jewish economics itself where the tax collecting was happening well here's how it went tax collectors were jewish yeah i I definitely wanted to ask that because i I think maybe sometimes people get this idea in their head that matthew was like roman or something but i think i'm pretty sure he was jewish
0: (laughs) yeah tax collectors are jews that rome has pressed into service to collect taxes for rome but when I say pressed into service, many of them volunteered. Mm. And if they wouldn't volunteer, they were helped to volunteer. If you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but regardless,
1: the, the people probably see them as kind of like a sellout. That Oh, yeah. That they're doing this in cooperation with the Roman government that has been oppressive to them. Oh, yeah.
0: Traitors. Just traitors. And I mean, okay. I don't know exact numbers, but we'll just, you know, make up a fake example. Let's say Zebedee gets off the boat with all those fish and he owns, uh, he owes in taxes, I don't know, pick a number, a hundred denarii. Well, the tax collector's going to look him right in the eyes and go, that'll be 200 denarii. And he'll give a hundred of it to Rome and he'll keep a hundred for himself and if you really make him mad he might just go mm, today it's 250 <laughs> so they were despised and and to be fair they were often very well off rich yeah they were collecting a lot of money so yeah they were just hated among the jews and i hate saying that but i don't blame them mm-hmm. they just were Uh, Now, uh, maybe just as a kind of a recap, let's get this in our heads. People that Jesus has in some official way called, you know, sort of like the follow me kind of story, okay, who are we talking about? Well, we've got uh, Simon Peter, his brother Andrew. We've got James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And now we have Matthew or Levi, the tax collector. And, well, you know what? Before I say that, uh, I, I want to make a little bit of a distinction here. So, you've got, if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll remember that we've talked about disciples before. We've talked about Peter and Andrew, but we also talked about, like, Philip and Nathanael and, 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 this seems like kind of a. We've got two stories going on. They don't match exactly. But what we're doing is trying to make a distinction that says yeah, in those earlier stories, it mostly seemed like these guys were choosing to follow him, not really being invited. They're just tagging along because they want to. But in these later stories, it seems to be more official like uh, actually instigated by Jesus himself, that kind of thing. So, so we've got that little bit of a distinction, but there was a very weird circumstance back in John early on, chapter 1, verse 30, 43, when he actually said to Philip, follow me. Hmm. And that's pretty much the crux of the story. So we know that we have Peter and Andrew, James and John, and Matthew. We're unsure about Philip. He's not mentioned anywhere around here, but at least he sort of fits the mold of those who've been officially invited. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how that works out as we go. Uh, but anyway, so we've got that distinction. Um, and, we, you know, don't hold on to that too tightly. We're just trying to make sense of the scriptures. Otherwise, they seem a little bit contradictory. Yeah, And so we're looking for a way for them to fit together a little nicer, a little smoother, you know, kind of reconcile, whatever. And that's all we
1: got. Gotcha.
0: Well, oh boy. Yeah. That next section is pretty long, Samuel. I seem <laughs> to be pretty proud. Thought I had something to say going on there. <laughs> all right. Uh, you know what? I guess, as weird as it may seem, we may as well uh, stop for this episode. Everybody's getting off early. <laughs>
1: It's a, it's kind of a good ending point to have Jesus invite Matthew slash Levi, tell yeah. him to follow him, and then we're going to you know find out what happens after that.
0: Yeah, it is. It's a great break. So if you don't have anything else, I don't have anything else.
1: Okie dokie. Oh! Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you're notified when our episodes release on Sundays at 7 p.m. so that you never miss an episode. Please make sure to leave us a review telling us how this podcast is impacting your life as well. Our podcast is now available on all podcasting platforms, so please make sure you check us out on your electronic device. You can also visit our official website at www.okidokimos.com. For more information or to listen online. And finally, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to send us any comments or questions at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope and we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.